So hi everyone, this is the gastroenterology knowledge video for chronic diarrhea. So we're going to go through how to approach this in a, in a clinical scenario, but also about then the kind of common differentials that you need to have a good understanding about afterwards. And um, it is a big field and there's a kind of a broad range of, uh, of differentials. And, and it's important to kind of go through all of those systematically. But what we'll do is we'll first, as I say, start with, with a kind of history and examination and initial investigations approach, and then talk a bit more about the differentials. So for that, I'm going to pass over to Kriti for the kind of definition and then talk and he'll talk through the history and examination part of it. Thank you, Michael. Yep. So as Michael mentioned, we're going to be covering the, in terms of history and examination of patients presenting with chronic diarrhea. I think first of all, it'd be good to know what the definition of a diarrhea and chronic diarrhea is. So diarrhea may be defined in terms of either stool frequency or either in change in the volume of consistency comparing it to the patient's baseline. Uh, typically, Bristol stool type 5 and above is quantified as diarrhea and symptoms lasting more than four weeks is classified as chronic diarrhea. And chronic diarrhea is one of the common reasons for patients to be referred to the gastroenterology clinic. And it may be due to many reasons, many differential diagnoses, and often can be difficult to differentiate on clinical grounds alone. So the common sort of differential diagnosis for chronic diarrhea would be small bowel inflammation, for example, Crohn's, small bowel malabsorption, such as celiacs, colonic inflammation, as seen in ulcerative colitis, colonic neoplasia, pancreatic insufficiency or mortality disorders. So that's sort of sort of brief definition of chronic diarrhea and sort of the most common differential diagnosis. Moving on to history, I think a detailed history is essential in assessment of patients presenting chronic diarrhea. And I think the main aims are to establish that symptoms are organic and to try to tease out the specific causes of diarrhea depending on the based on the differential diagnosis that we mentioned before. First of all, I think trying to clarify to trying to clarify the nature of diarrhea. So you can ask them about the frequency of their bowel movement, the change in consistency, and always asking them what was their baseline, say a week, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, when it was normal. Following on, you're going to be asking them about the duration of their symptoms, when did the symptoms first start, is this something acute, is this something which has going, been going on for a while. Next, you're going to be asking them about the content of the diarrhea. Is there any blood in it? Is there any mucus in it? Because presence of bloody diarrhea would indicate possible IBD in this group of patients. You should also be inquiring about steatoria, which would indicate pancreatic insufficiency. And often ask for any signs of uh, nocturnal symptoms, urgency, tenesmus. And this would normally indicate an organic cause for their diarrhea. Next, you're going to be asking about other associated symptoms such as any abdominal pain, any weight loss, or systemic symptoms such as any skin symptoms, any joint symptoms, any eye symptoms, which often can be extra-intestinal manifestation of an underlying inflammatory bowel disease. Diet is also quite key, asking them if they're taking you know, excessive intake of caffeine, tea, or any possible... Um, also inquiring about milk intake as patients with lactase deficiency can often have diarrhea with the increased intake of milk. Uh, past medical history will be the next step. So you're going to be asking them basically all the other comorbidities, particularly you're going to be asking about endocrine disorders as hypo, hypothyroid can often influence the gut motility. You're going to be asking about diabetes or any pancreatic disorders in the past. 
any autoimmune conditions because often they are linked with IBDs or also be linked to, with some of the differential diagnosis we mentioned above. So for instance, systemic sclerosis can cause more intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Can be asking them about previous surgeries, so any have they had any small bowel resections, any cholecystectomy, any gastric bypass surgery, because these could all be risk factors again for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or even bile acid malabsorption. Previous radiotherapy, if they've had it, because radiation proctitis can often cause diarrhea, but often it's more bloody diarrhea. Uh, psychiatry history is quite important as well. If they've got any anxiety, depression, or any other underlying uh, psychiatry conditions, and often because it's got a close association with uh, IBS, so it'll be key to establish uh, any underlying psychiatry conditions. Uh, next, moving on to drug history. So this is quite important as well. You can be asking them about any new meds because often most medications can cause diarrhea or any GI symptoms. So it's important to clarify if they've been started on any new medication. And that includes any uh, herbal medications as well. Recent antibiotics is important as that can be a risk factor for C. diff. Moving on next, social history. So asking about travel history. Have they been traveling anywhere exotic, tropical countries, often a risk factor for any parasitic infections or any zoonotic infections. Uh, alcohol excess and smoking is, is again key as risk factor for malignancy. Mm -hmm. A functional status is quite key as a key point to address because I've uh, to assess if the patient's fit enough for any sort of endoscopic assessment because not all patients will be fit enough for colonoscopy. So it'll be important to establish the functional status and uh, and their comorbidities. And lastly, family history. If you've got any family history of malignancy, a family history of IBD or celiac is often these conditions can run in the family and be key to sort of clarify this in the history. Yes, I think that was a good a good summary. I mean, as we said at the beginning, you know, chronic diarrhea is a, is a, is a big area with a big broader differentials. And I think that just bringing up on a couple of things you said, Akriti, were quite important, I think should be emphasized is and stools are different and you need to make sure that there has been a change compared to their baseline and stuff like that can be, um, teased out in history and it's important because obviously if this symptoms have been going on for 20 years then that's a different kettle of fish to something else and and as you're going through the history you want to try and just pick up on the finer details that help you differentiate the kind of the history and the source of things of what's going on so you mentioned about bleeding and absolutely can indicate things like a colitis you wouldn't typically get bleeding for example in small bowel crohn's but if you had a crohn's colitis or an ulcerative colitis then you'd expect to see a bit more bleeding there and then you want to know as well, is the blood, where is the blood? How much of the blood is there? Is the blood in the paper? Is it, is it in the stool? Is it both? And that gives you an indication that actually it may be something like a tear um, a fissure or, a, or um, hemorrhoids that are giving the blood rather than a, a truly kind of colitic picture. And then you also mentioned quickly about pain and pain is important because it can, it can give you subtle clues as to what's going on. You know, if you've got pain that's altered, when you open your bowels then that again points more towards a kind of more functional disorder and then we'll come on to that when we talk about ibs in a bit later and something that i really liked there that you talked about was about the fitness of a uh, fitness for colonoscopy and that if you're talking about that in a clinical context or in an, or you know in an interview context then it's actually very good to be able to say you know why people need to be fit for colonoscopy they need to make sure that the bowel prep is going to work and they're going to be able to tolerate the bowel prep but they also need to be able to tolerate the sedation that you require and the painkillers that you require for it and during the procedure they need to be able to move around as that is one of the most useful mechanisms if someone has a difficult colon in order to get the colonoscope round is, is position change so all of these things 
a good subtle indications that you really know what you're talking about when it comes to this kind of very broad broad kind of you know presenting complaint as it were i think so i think yeah i think that was that was really good i think if we go on to things that you know, a quick mention about examination but then i think talk about the kind of initial investigations we would want to do in someone presenting with chronic diarrhea okay so in terms of examination, so I think key thing is doing a systemic examination, looking at the nutritional status, is this patient cachectic, because it could be, it could have underlying malabsorption, which could present as chronic diarrhea. And next, you're going to be doing an abdominal examination. I think uh, for chronic diarrhea, I think examination findings may not give you most of the clues or sort of uh, indication as to what the underlying diagnosis is going to be. But I think essentially what you're going to be looking for in abdominal examination would be just to rule out any palpable masses. But also, again, just like a general exam abdominal examination, looking for stigmata signs, for example, in IBD, you're going to be looking for signs of clubbing, as they got any skin signs such as erythematosum or pyoderma. Uh, in, or in instances like celiac, you can get dermatitis, hepatiformis. So just looking sort of general examination and uh, an abdominal examination. Yeah, and I think you were talking about the stuff you mentioned there was about extra intestinal manifestations, wasn't it, of IBD? So absolutely. So skin changes, joint changes, eye changes, those kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with all of that. Moving on to investigations, you're going to start off with just basic investigations in form of blood tests. For example, in under hematology, you're going to be looking for uh, any signs of anemia. Uh, if they do have anemia, then you're going to be checking their hematinics. It's just a sign of iron deficiency anemia. They can often have low B12 and folate, especially if you've got underlying malabsorption or small bowel involvement where they're not really absorbing the nutrients. Raised platelets often can be a sign of inflammation or can even be a sign of malignancy. Biochemistry-wise, you're going to be checking the TFTs, as mentioned above, any uh, thyroid disorders can present with uh, diarrhea or constipation. You're going to be checking for uh, USNEs and LFTs as part of your routine workup. Uh, other key things you're going to be testing in the blood test would be celiac antibodies, so that can be in form of uh, anti-TTG and anti-endomysial to rule out celiac. Uh, you can also consider testing immunoglobulins in case patients do have IgA deficiency as the celiac antibodies can be normal. I know some trusts do automatically test for immunoglobulins as part of the celiac screen, but if your trust don't do, might be something worthwhile to consider if you've got strong clinical suspicion of celiac with a normal celiac screen. HIV would be a, another key blood test, especially if they are immunocompromised or they have any other risk factors, which could have, uh, mean they have HIV. So these are the sort of basic blood tests that you should do in working up for someone presenting with chronic diarrhea. Second test, uh, which is another key test, would be the stool test. So you're going to be sending them for sending the stool sample for stool cultures to rule out any infective cause. If they have any sort of travel history, uh, you could also be sending for any like stool cultures for parasites and OWAS uh, just to make sure there's no any parasitic infections. Fecal calprotectin would be another key test when it comes to stool test. As you know, it would be raised in inflammatory bowel disease. But a positive test does not mean patient necessarily have IBD as it can be falsely elevated in many other conditions. If they've got an underlying infection or patient is on any non-steroidals or even in malignancy, it can be falsely elevated. So it so basically means you've got a high negative predictive value where a normal fecal calpro, you can fairly be fairly confident excluding IBD, but a positive test does not mean patients have definite IBD. Um, and then following on that, you can do an endoscopic assessment, either in the form of colonoscopy or a flexible sigmoidoscopy. So what you're looking for essentially is for looking for any inflammation, any signs of colitis, 
or any signs of polyps or neoplasia uh, in terms of your luminal assessment. Uh, some patients can have microscopic colitis where, you know, the luminal assessment can, can microscopically, it may be, may appear normal. So you'll be taking random biopsies uh, for histological assessment uh, to exclude microscopic colitis as this condition is treatable and uh, they are treatable with steroids. Um, as Michael mentioned about colonoscopy, it's fairly invasive and needs bowel preparation. So you need to up-to-date up to EGFR and you need to be fairly confident the patient is fit enough to be to be taking the bowel preparation. If there's strong suspicions of celiac serology, uh, sorry, sorry, if celiac serology is positive, or if you've got strong clinical suspicion with celiac serology, you should be referring patients for OGD where they can take general biopsies for histological assessment where you can get loss of villi or high raised intraepithelial lymphocytes. Uh, in terms of radiological assessment, if you have strong suspicion of small bowel Crohn's, often the colonoscopy is going to be normal. So you need an MRI, small bowel, or a CT enterography to assess the small bowels to look, either looking for any signs of inflammation or strictures and of fibrotic tissue structures to rule out any small bowel involvement. Yeah, so I think that was a, a good kind of summary of investigations. There's not for the, for the kind of initial stuff, you, you know, there's only a few things that you really need to think about. The other, the only thing I would add on to that is if, if the history is in keeping with it or there's persistent diarrhea, then when you're talking about stool tests, you think about doing a fecal elastase, look for pancreatic insufficiency as well. So you want, you would expect that to be low cutoff varies some trust is 150 some trust is 200 but a low vehicle last days would be would be in keeping with pancreatic insufficiency and and that will not be falsely raised with creon so if they're already on creon and because someone's done it before testing for it then you can still do the fecal last days test the other thing i'd to say is uh, is if you're when as you said when you're doing a colonoscopy for a possible uh, inflammatory bowel disease or persistent diarrhea then it then after getting to the cecum, they'll um, they'll then perform what's called terminal ileal intubation with the colonoscopes. They'll get into the terminal ileum, and you can go 10, 15, 20 centimeters quite easily with most people. And you can see what the uh, what the terminal ileum looks like, and you can take biopsies from there as well. And that's a very good marker uh, to help rule out any kind of small bowel Crohn's disease.